Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome to our Aliyah Day. So glad to be with you this morning on this beautiful, bright, and sunny morning. I hope that you're having a good day so far. Thank you for joining me. I am Rabbi Mordecai Griffin, the rabbi of Sar Shalom Synagogue, the founder of Lapid Judaism, and, uh, and your host today on an Aliyah Day, which we like to say... An Aliyah day keeps the Yetzer Hara away. It's a great place to learn, a great place to grow, to gain insights, and it's, uh, it's 30 minutes of, uh, of beauty. So welcome. If you're new to our channel, then we'd ask you to please subscribe and be sure and click the bell icon so that you'll be notified uh, about all of the amazing content that we have that comes out uh, from time to time. Have a new video that's coming out very, very soon. It's um, it's in post production right now, Baruch Hashem. So uh, that's coming forth. It's going to be a new video about Rosh Hashanah and some of the insights and meanings. So be sure and click that bell icon so that you'll know at the moment that it uh, is released and you can be the first to view it and share it with all your friends. Please be sure to uh, like this video and share it with your friends and family and co-workers and strangers at the gas station. They will love you and appreciate you for sharing with them the light of Torah and Messiah Yeshua and help them to see Lapid Judaism. And I pray that you uh, will join us here at the Lapid Nation. So we are in the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim. And uh, if you have the Art Scroll Humash, we're going to be on page 1051, which uh, is uh, corresponding to the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, beginning in verse 8. This is the third Aliyah of Parasha Kitetse. Now, there's a number of mitzvot in this particular reading, and we are going to do our very best to comment on as many of them as possible and try to uh, bring some clarity and understanding into our wonderful lives. So, let's begin what we normally do, and that is by reading uh, the wonderful and amazing parasha, and then dive right into the commentary. So, Deuteronomy chapter 22, 22, verso 8, for our Sephardic uh, Jews out there, and here we go. If you build a new house... You shall make a fence for your roof, so that you will not place blood in your house if a fallen one falls from it. Verse 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with a mixture, lest the growth of the seed that you plant and the produce of the vineyard become forbidden. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You should not wear combined fibers, wool, and linen together. That's very important because we... There is twice that this mitzvah about not mixing fabrics is written. But some people don't uh, realize that it only pertains to wool and linen mixed together. So you can have a, a, a garment that has, I don't know, rayon and wool in it or rayon and cotton or wool and cotton. But the mixture prohibition is for wool and linen. Those cannot be mixed together. There are some exceptions to that. Uh, but in general, that is the rule. Verse 12, you shall make for yourself twisted threads on the four corners of your garments with which you cover yourself. This is another important verse because this, of course, is talking about the tzitzit, about the tassels. 
Now, we're commanded to make tassels, and this is where we read in the Torah that those tassels must, must, M-U-S-T, all caps, bold, underlined, must be attached to a four-cornered garment. Sometimes uh, people, as they're coming into Torah, and they're learning about Torah, and they don't really have... Um, they don't really have a Torah teacher. You know, they're, they're people are trying, but they just don't know what they don't know. Sometimes they will uh, make uh, tzitzit, and they'll make something that resembles tzitzit, I guess, tassels, and hang them from the belt loops of their trousers. Um, that is, that is a, uh, not a bad start, but it's not kosher. And so in order for them to be kosher, they have to be attached to a four-cornered garment. Um, if I was a, if I'd been thinking ahead, I would have, I would have brought one to my desk here and, and shown you. But the good news is, you can purchase a four-cornered garment. It's called a tlit katan that has the seat seat on them, and uh, they're not very expensive. And you can even buy them with the kosher, the kosher, very important kosher techelit, which we often call blue. And if you are interested in any of that, uh, you can you can purchase them through our Judaica store. Uh, not that I'm trying to sell you anything from the Judaica store, I'm really not, but I'm just telling you that they're available, uh, and we make the Tachelet Blue available, because it's kind of hard to get. We get ours from the uh, from the factory by the Dead Sea. But enough about that. I just wanted to point out the fact that they need to be on a four-cornered garment. Verse 13, if a man marries a wife and comes to her and hates her, and he makes a wanton accusation against her, spreading a bad name against her, and he said... I married this woman, and I came near to her, and I did not find signs of virginity on her. Then the father of the girl and her mother shall take and bring proofs of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city, to the gate. The father of the girl should say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife, and he hated her. Now, behold, he made a wanton accusation against her, saying, I do not find signs of virginity on your daughter, but... These are the signs of virginity of my daughter, and they should spread out the sheet before the elders of the city. The elders of the city shall take that man and punish him. They punish him with lashes. And they shall fine him 100 silver shekels and give them to the father of the girl. For he had issued a slander against a virgin of Israel, and she shall remain with him as a wife. He cannot divorce her all of his days. So the, uh, the, the point of that particular instance is one of the other situations in the Torah where Hashem is providing a safeguard for women. But in this case, the sages bring down that this husband has just become lustful. He, he, he wants another woman. He wants another woman because he simply has a problem with lust. And he's now making a, a false accusation against uh, his wife uh, just so that A, he has a pretense to divorce her, and B, that when he divorces her, he does not have to pay her the 50 shekel bride price. Uh, he's trying to save his money here. So he's got lust for other woman, a lust for finances or what have you. Excuse me. And so the elders of the city, this is why they punish him with lashes, and they make him pay a 100 she silver shekelim, double what he would normally, normally, normally uh, would have paid. And the bonus is he can't divorce her. So uh, this is, again, a safeguard uh, against uh, the woman 
um, and making her a disgrace and so on. So it says here in verse 20, but if this matter was true, signs of virginity were not found on the girl, then they shall take the girl to the entrance of her father's house, and the people of the city shall pelt her with stones, and she shall die. For she had committed an outrage in Israel to commit adultery in her father's house, and you shall remove the evil from your midst. If a man will be found lying with a woman who is married to a husband, then both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman, uh, you shall remove the evil from Israel. Interesting, we see in the gospel account of the woman who was caught um, in adultery, and they brought her before Yeshua, and, and they said that she was caught in the very act. If that was the case, where was the man? Uh, that, that was not part of the due process as seen uh, here, uh, you know, in, in the Torah. Of course, they asked him what should be done with her. And of course, uh, I'm not really sure what they were thinking because in that case, there, there would have been brought before the Sanhedrin, all those kinds of things. So anyway, um, it says here that the man and the woman should be brought and, and punished. And so that's the point I wanted to bring up about that particular story. So it says, um, if there will be a virgin girl who is betrothed to a man, and the man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall take them both to the gate of that city and pelt them with stones, and they shall die. The girl, because of the fact that she did not crowd in the city, and the man, because of the fact that he afflicted the wife of his fellow, and you shall remove the evil from the midst. But if it's in the field, then a man will find the betrothed girl, and the man will seize her and lie with her. Only the man who lies with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the girl, for the girl has committed no capital sin. For like a man who rises up against his fellow and kills him, so is this thing. For he found her in the field, he betrothed, the betrothed girl did cry out, and we, we presume she did, but she had no savior. If a man will find a virgin maiden who was not betrothed and takes hold of her and lies with her, and they, discover, they are discovered, then the man who lay with her shall give the father of the girl fifty silver shekels, and he shall become... A, she shall become his wife because he afflicted her. He cannot divorce her all of his days. Again, we covered that because that came up in a question uh, recently. And uh, the, the question was, is how, <clears throat> how can this girl be forced to marry uh, this man? The answer is, is that she's not forced to marry him. She has a choice in the matter. If you, this, according to, um, uh, as we talked about uh, in the last couple of days, due process, oral Torah, etc. She, uh, she has the choice, but the man doesn't in this case. In other words, if she wants to marry him, or, or for whatever reason, he has to marry her, and he has to pay her the price, he has to make her a wife. This, again, is a protection against the woman, but, but she's by no means required to marry him. Uh, so it says in verse 23, or excuse me, chapter 23, verse 1, A man shall not marry the wife of his father, and shall not uncover the robe of his father. Uh, of his father, a man with uh, crushed testicles or severed organs shall not enter the congregation of Adonai. A mamzer shall not enter the congregation of Adonai. Even his tenth generation shall not enter the congregation of Adonai. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the congregation of Adonai. Even their tenth generation shall not enter the congregation of Adonai to eternity. Now. That verse is very important for people that believe in, uh, first of all, for people that do not believe in any type of oral 
Torah, that they don't believe in the teachings of the sages, the teachings of the, the quote-unquote rabbis. For people that are purportedly sola scriptura, they're word of God only, very strict word of God people, which, by the way, doesn't exist. Let me give you an example why I say that. Somebody comes to me and they say, Rabbi, I don't believe in the oral Torah. I don't believe in the traditions. I don't believe in the rabbis. I'm strict word of God only. I'm word of God only. Very strict. I'm sola scriptura. I only follow the Lord. I'm a Karite. I, you know, all of that, you know, that's where I am. Great. How do you keep the Shabbat? And as they proceed to tell me how they keep the Shabbat, the moment they open their mouth, I say, stop. What page is that on? And of course it's not. So basically what you've done is you've just made up your own traditions. That's really what happens to us because man cannot live without traditions or without customs and the Bible doesn't tell us how to do every single thing. For instance, another example. The Word of God says, you shall slaughter the animal as I've shown you. But nowhere in the Torah do we find an explanation of what that was. So how do we slaughter the animal? The moment you say anything, I would say stop. What page is that on? This is another example because it says, An Amorite or Moabite shall not enter the congregation of Adonai, even their tenth generation shall not enter the congregation of Adonai, to eternity. If you are a word of God only and you reject wholesale the entire uh, rabbinical interpretation, the oral Torah, whatever you want to call it, then uh, this verse precludes you from believing in Yeshua as the Messiah, Hasve Shalom, it also precludes you from believing that David is the king of Israel, Shalom. It also precludes you from believing in the entire book of Ruth. Because Ruth was a Moabite. And in fact, this was the position of some people who were against King David, such as Doag, who was the leader of the Sanhedrin in David's time, who actually quoted this verse and said there's no way that he could be a king, much less even, or excuse me, he could be a Jew, much less even a king, based on this verse. And it was only because Samuel, the prophet, stood up and said that there had been a basically rabbinical decree that it was the females who were allowed in and the males who were not allowed. So if you don't believe in the oral Torah, this is a major, major problem because it will disrupt your entire faith, as in your faith in the Mashiach and even your faith in what God said about the Mashiach coming from King David. So it says in verse 5, because of the fact that they did not greet you with bread and water on the road when, when you were leaving Egypt, and because he hired against you Belam, notice the word he, he hired against you Belam, son of Beor of Pethor, Amram, Naharaim, to curse you. But Hashem your God refused to listen to Belam and Adonai, and Adonai your God reversed the curse to, bless, to a blessing for you because Adonai your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their welfare all your days. The rabbis deduce from this that it would not have been appropriate for women to come out and offer bread, or excuse me, offer water and so on, because that would have been immodest. And so therefore the women wanted to come out, but they, they didn't because of that very reason. And so therefore it was the men's responsibility to do so, and they refused. And then it says, he hired Belam against you. So this is why they say that because it was the men's responsibility and they failed, and therefore it was it's, the onus was on them, a male Moabite and a male Ammonite were not allowed into the congregation, but the females were. 
And now that is a rabbinical interpretation as found in the oral law, which allows Ruth to become a Jew, allows David to become a Jew, allows David to become king, allows Yeshua later on to become the Mashiach. You see how that all plays? I hope you do. So let's look at a few insights here as we're getting right to our uh, discussion uh, of, of these various um, uh, comments, comments and so on. Now, we're going to go back a little bit to yesterday. Um, interesting comment here going back to the idea of the body hanging on the gallows. Just wanted to share this because I thought it was pretty interesting. We talked, we, we left off yesterday with the amazing insight from Ma'am Loez that said that uh, why is a body left on hanging on a tree? Why is it an affront to God? And Ma'am Loez brought down the Talmudic uh, interpretation that uh, there was a story of two king, or excuse me, two, two brothers who are identical twins. One became a crowned king, and the other was a highwayman, a highwayman, a robber. And so the twin brother highwayman was captured and hung on a tree because of his sins. And everybody looked at the highwayman and said, that must be the king. And so the king said, take him down because everybody's mistaking him for me. Why? Because he's my image. So in verse 23, it says, his body shall not remain for the night on the gallows. It says, it is recounted that in the days of King David, there was once uh, extenuating circumstances which required transgression of this command. It says, during a long famine, David offered to make amends to the Gibeonites for Saul's attempts to exterminate them. They replied that in retribution, they wanted to hang seven of the sons of Saul before Adonai, so David acquiesced and delivered the sons into the hands of the Gibeonites, including two sons of Rizbah, the daughter of uh, Ai. After they were hanged, Rizbah allowed neither the birds to wrestle them by day nor the breasts of the field by night. 2 Samuel 21.10 So it says, Our sages explain that the bodies remained suspended from the trees for seven months. And David therefore transgressed the command of you shall not leave a body overnight, but he did so with the thought that a sanctification of Hashem's name is so important that it may be done at the cost of a desecration of his name. <laughs> now, isn't that an interesting insight? Because many people object to Yeshua being the son of God, the king of, of Israel, the Mashiach, because uh, it seems to be that Hashem manifesting in the form of, 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 a, of a human appearance and all those kinds of things, being hung on an on a, on a execution stake, that that's a desecration of Hashem's name, and Hashem would never allow that. And then we come across this story in which... In order, in which we find David, in order to sanctify God's name, act, does something that causes a desecration to his name. This is a mystery. This is one of those things where, one of those times where two positives become a negative. Or I should say, I'm sorry, I, I, I said that backwards, forgive me. Two negatives, that is, become a positive. Just something to think about, because... Things don't always play out the way we think they should. And so this is an example of that. Just a very interesting insight that in order to sanctify God's name, 
David did something what, what, that would normally desecrate it. Very interesting. So, moving right along, we have um, the insight here about women not allowed to wear men's clothes. And so we see in our modern day and age how that particular mitzvah is being violated left and right uh, through cross-dressing or what have you. And, and uh, one wonders why that, is, why that is so prominent and so popular in our culture. I have a, something that I typically say, and that is that if we find something that is very, very popular in our modern society, it is very, very likely that it's not godly. Because what the world in general accepts and really loves and promotes is very often the exact opposite of what God wants. And that has to do here with a men wearing women's clothing and women wearing men's clothing. So there's a great insight into this from the Gutnik Humash, and it says, The goal of the women's liberation movement appears to be based on noble values. Okay. that a woman should not be given an inferior role to a man, for she too was created in the image of God, as it says in Bratius 9.6. That's absolutely true. Women are not inferior. Man is not inferior to woman. Woman is not inferior to man. We simply have different roles. But it's different roles as in the king and queen have different roles. So it says here, no, so a woman is made in the image of man, no less than man. In truth, however, woman's lib has brought about the degradation of women by demeaning the unique talents and worth of women. And so this is a very important statement here. It says, suggesting that the only worthwhile choice is to act like someone else. That's the great irony of that movement. It's the great irony of the transgender movement is that you, you, you're not satisfied. You're, you want to be uh, someone else. This is the great evil of those kinds of things is that we don't, we're not appreciative of how God created us. We have to be careful, too, because it's very common that one could look in the mirror and say, I wish my hair was, uh, you know, they have, let's say they have straight hair. And they look in the mirror and they say, I wish my hair was curly. And the, the person who has curly hair, uh, who looks in the mirror and says, I wish my hair were straight. Uh, the person who maybe is a uh, kind of a bigger person might look into the mirror and say, I wish I was a little smaller. And the smaller person looks in the mirror and says, I wish I was a little bigger. And so the evil inclination has us to, we're never satisfied with who we are. I remember when I was in the military, I had to go to uh, administration uh, for whatever. I don't I have no idea why I was going, I don't remember. But I went there to the admin office. And I was in the infantry and so we were always in the field always doing stuff always out there in the, in the elements and what have you and so i walked into the office and there was uh, another service member who he and i were of the same rank and roughly the same age and he was helping me fill out whatever per- paperwork i was having to fill out 
And there he was in a nice air-conditioned office with a desk, and he was wearing his nice uniform, where I was always, always wearing, you know, the fatigue uniform. And he saw what I did. He saw what my occupational specialty was. And he, he said to me, he says, oh, man, oh, I wish I was out there doing that and having some excitement. This is, this is kind of dull. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish I was sitting in your desk all the time enjoying this uh, cool AC and, and always getting to wear my nice uniform and not have to always be out in the bush. And so it's just an example of we always want to be in somebody else's place. And this is, my friends, a chaluch Hashem. The desecration of God's name. Why? Because we don't appreciate how God made us and why He made us. There's a reason why He made us, and every aspect of your being is for a divine purpose. Yes, to include your curly hair or your straight hair, you know, or whatever it is, your blue eyes or your brown eyes. There's a reason why God made you the way He made you. There's a reason why God had you to be born in the place in which He had you to be born. There's a reason why God orchestrates your entire life. We may not always know the reasons. We may never come to know those reasons. But we should appreciate those reasons. And do our very best not to complain against the Creator. God, why did you make me this way? How can the pot complain against the, the, the potter? Why did you make me this way? Just something for us to remember. And this is the problem with the situation where we find a woman wearing man's clothing. And vice versa. Because we're not happy with the way God made us. It also implies that somehow God made some type of mistake. That we were supposed to be one gender, but he accidentally put us into another, uh, a body of the opposite gender. And there are many people who believe in God, allegedly, who have no problem with that concept. Not realizing, and we talk about this a lot on the Aliyah, how often we defame God's name and we, we actually... What we teach, actually, uh, in our teaching, would prove chasve shalom that God isn't God, and this is one of those instances where we say, "I have no problem with that concept," um, but what, in fact, we're actually saying is that God makes mistakes. Which, if that's the case, He can't be God. And if He made a mistake, such a huge mistake, I have a a female or or male soul and. I put them into an opposite body. Oops. Something so big, how can we trust him on anything? How can we trust anything, he said, which is the exact explicit purpose of the enemy trying to, trying to suggest that nonsense. Because if he can get you to question that, then he can get you to question this over here. So, we need to be comfortable, we need to be happy, we need to be, we need to find joy in how and who God made us. This is what Hashem is trying to teach us, that I made you a certain way and you, you need to rejoice and have joy in, uh, in that, in that way. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem with uh, uh, you know people like changing their hair color, dyeing it, or whatever. I, I, I'm not really. I mean, I don't. I, I don't care, right? 
But all I'm saying is that, you know, you just have to be careful with that because you have to say, this is, this is how God made me. And I'm just, uh, I, need to be, I need to make sure that I'm not, uh, I'm not angry with God about the color of my skin or my hair type. Or if you're like me, you don't have much hair. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Baruch Hashem. So, um, another, in, another couple of things I want to share in the, in the few minutes we have remaining. Just, there's a lot of different mitzvahs here. They're, they're related on a spiritual level, but they seem kind of to jump from one thing to the other. But one of the mitzvahs we talked about yesterday was not removing a young from the, from the nest while the mother is present. And so, Rambam regards this command as teaching us to show kindness and consideration to animals. If our search for food requires killing an animal, then it should be, it, the animal should be slaughtered in the easiest and most humane way possible to avoid any type of torment to the animal itself. And then another comment says, the law... If, if, if this is a consideration we give to birds and four-legged animals and so on, four-legged creatures, how much more so should we be concerned about the feelings of human beings? And, and, and Rambon says that this prohibition is intended to teach us the concept of mercy in general and to turn away from cruelty. The, the bottom line here is what the Torah is trying to teach us is to be people that are, that are kind at our core. Even to animals. This is why somebody who is mean to animals, an animal who, who uh, is completely at our mercy, is a particularly cruel person. And thank God we have laws in our country that, that punish people for cruelty to animals. Uh, and so it doesn't mean that you, know, you can't be a hunter and it doesn't mean that you can't uh, be somebody like that. But at the same time, there, you, you need to be somebody who, at your very core, has compassion, even over the bunnies and the squirrels and other animals. So there's that. End of our Aliyah today. There's so much more to share. As we say very often, we are out of time, but not out of content. We're going to come back together today, or tomorrow rather, Bezrat Hashem, for the uh, fourth Aliyah, right? Yeah, tomorrow's the fourth. This was the third Aliyah. Tomorrow's the fourth Aliyah. We'll begin together then and to read and study together and to talk more about these mitzvot. Thank you for joining me. It has been my pleasure to be with you. Please uh, subscribe to our channel. Please like this video. Share it with all your friends. And most importantly, have a great and magnificent and joyful day. And we'll see each other tomorrow with God's help. Shalom and blessings.